0: Welcome to The Sounds of the World. We are your hosts, Hilary and Bill.
1: Together, we're going to travel around the world to discover new music, discuss musical topics, and interview fascinating people.
0: Our world is a buffet of music, and it is time to eat. back everybody to the sounds of the world podcast Uh, that was a brief taste of a piece by our next guest she's born in northport new york and now lives in new york city she received a b.a in music theory and composition at barnard college and columbia university uh, pursued a, a flute performance degree at the manhattan school of music she's referred to as quote the best flute player in the state of New York by The Observer and as a founding member of the New York City based new music group Black Box Ensemble. They've recently begun performing again and was featured in The New Yorker which is awesome. She's led a a life filled with music but also had a continuous love affair with dance. At 13 she was selected to be the youngest trainee with the Joffrey Ballet School and she began exploring modern dance styles and improvisation. This spurred on an interest in utilizing and amalgamatizing uh, elements of ballet, modern dance, and contact improvisation in her musical practice. Not only has music performance and dance played a key role in her life, but she's a constant supporter of new music and the continuation of new music and dance. Today, we're going to talk to her about her life, uh, being a drum major, dancing through music, some of her new music that she's got working on right now and how to pick the right boots to make a fit. So please welcome Annie Nikonin. I think I still screwed it up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Nikunin, you're you good. I, either one. <laughs> Thank you so much, you guys. I'm so excited to be here in the chat.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. It's, it's great. Um, I remember talking to you a little bit on Facebook and and then doing a deep dive into everything. So it's been it's good to be able to finally talk to you.
1: Yes.
2: Not
0: just be the weird Facebook stalker <laughs> type. So
2: uh, stop <laughs> <talking me. people>.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let's just let's start from the beginning. Uh, we we kind of br- we briefly touched on everything. Uh, but maybe you could talk about like your musical background. Um, do you come from like a musical family or are you kind of the odd one out or what?
2: Yeah, so I'm going to go with the latter on that. So I am the odd one out in my family. I am the only musician. I mean, you know, in my extended family, I had, I think, a great aunt who played accordion. I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, uh, I I am the only one. And um, my my mom actually is uh, an artist. She was a visual artist, so we kind of uh, appreciate the same things. But yes, I'm the only musician. And um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll start, I guess, from the very beginning. So I. I grew up in, I was very fortunate to grow up in a school district on the Island that highly valued the arts and music education. And so that played a huge role in my career now in music and the arts in general, uh, the Northport School District, Northport Music Department. And uh, so basically, I started out in, um, they have a very high level program even just beginning all the students because since it's emphasized so much everyone really wants to do it mm. so I started out um picking you pick an instrument and you put down like your three top choices or something and so not everyone got the flute so I was lucky to to get that
1: mm. and they
2: give you a rental and you participate in this summer music program that they have that is really um looking back it's just such an amazing thing that they have and I even went back to teaching it a few years ago, and it came really full circle. And uh, so they have you do like this little chamber music series with other people in your instrument group, and you take lessons. And then you kind of have this community going into school because this it's during the summer. So you really get the chance to hone in and focus on the instrument and, you know, work with other people, meet other people. And um, yeah, and then you end up going into the band or the, you know, choir orchestra in elementary school. So, I got into the band and um, I was in choir as well. And so, I started singing and playing flute really at the same time. And, you know, the flute, it ended up being a match made in heaven. And I felt, <laughs> and, and, you know, little did I know it would become so much part of my movement practice as well, which I'll get into. But then, you know, in middle school, uh, things just kind of amped up as I went through middle school and high school. And so, I, you know, I was in pit orchestras and, eventually in high school, you know, they had really everything and they actually call it a conservatory program at my high school. Um, So yeah, it's almost like literally you're, you're getting a little mini conservatory um, within your education. And so I did four years of composition and theory with Frank Doyle who is still my mentor to this day and um, then I was in Symphony Orchestra there was an endless amount of ensembles I mean I'm still it boggles my mind even still but there was like an honors band an honors choir there were like five different kinds of choirs and like three bands two orchestras the pit orchestra for the play every year there was you know in choir we actually toured to England and Scotland which was like unbelievable oh. Wow. and I did New York all state for the the two years I was eligible which is your junior and senior year and you do this thing called NISMA where you basically audition um for a panel and they you can get into this thing called all state where you they essentially pick quote unquote the best players in the state and then you go and to Rochester at Eastman and you have a whole 3-day festival where you they put you in in an ensemble. So the first year I was in the symphonic band. And then the second year, which was a great way to end my high school career was I um, got principal flutist of the New York Symphony Orchestra. Wow. So that was really really fun, and under Eduardo Navega, who was a fabulous conductor, and um, we did like Berlioz, and we did a, like a really ambitious program. <laughs> and um, it was uh, it was great, and we were all holed up in the hotel in Rochester for like three days. So there was some fun times there. Well, it uh, sounds like
0: they had the the crew to do it though. So.
2: Yeah, no, they really, it, it, it's like something that they start planning for, like as soon as it ends every year, they start doing it for the next year. So it's a huge, and wow. it's its a great way to, to just connect with other musicians and, and meet other people. So I'd say the communities I built in my time in the Northport School District really just, I mean, I'm so fortunate to say that they have stayed with me even throughout my journey now you know as a as a freelancer as a musician a dancer and you know an artist and in, in every sense so i'm i'm really thankful for that
1: wow holy cow that's amazing um <laughs> man i'm just like looking at like what's in montana and i'm like there's nothing in montana <laughs> no there are some musical things but just Oh, that's so cool. What an amazing thing to have that community. Like, I, I literally can't even fathom that um, in my own musical upbringing. So that's, that's really special and really cool. Dang. <laughs>
0: yeah, right?
2: <laughs> I even still, I actually go back every summer or usually I would have this summer but you know cuz covid it didn't happen but uh there's this Northport community band that have that basically convenes every summer and um I I know very well the the family that runs it and it's kind of just this thing where you get to play with all your teachers and I actually mm-hmm. like dreamt of being in it from when I was little it was one of those things where I live right up the hill from this beautiful, I live in a little harbor town, or my my hometown is Northport, New York, so I I grew up in this really, like, old-fashioned, cute little harbor town um, before moving to the city, and uh, so they always played in the gazebo every July in the summer, and so, you know, me and my mom would go and sit there or something, and I'd be like, I'm gonna be in that band. (laughs) they had one spot for a flutist and i was so glad i got it so that was and you're a member for life which is like i feel like not many things you get to say that about right uh, it's a great great group of people and i get to play aside alongside these teachers that have known me since literally i was like five years old and i'm still so close with all of them and it's yeah it's a really surreal thing i love it
1: it's cool wow
2: yeah
0: Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, what So what, in, what got you to like the flute? Like, why did you pick the flute?
2: <laughs> oh, this is a great story. So uh, when I initially actually wanted to play the cello, I had like really strong feelings about this because my older brother at the time played the cello for like a hot second. And then <laughs> I was in this phase where I wanted to do everything he did. And so I'm like, I'm going to play the cello. And then my mom was like, no, like you're not carrying that. You're like such a small little fourth grader <laughs> There is no way you can like lug that around the hallways. And I'm like, That's true. Okay. So and then I'm like, the flute's pretty portable, so let let's let's try that out. <laughs> and so that's like a lot of people kinda of don't expect that, but that's why I think the But uh, that was that was the way it happened. And then when I first tried it out, it's funny that it it kind of um, came naturally, like I didn't really have that much trouble getting the sound out, fortunately, and because I'm, you know, usually it kind of is a a lot to, you know, But I mean, my you get headaches in the beginning and stuff like that but you know you you get past it (laughs) uh, but yeah that's that's basically how it happened and and like I said I was pretty uh lucky to get it because you know for some reason flute is the most popular instrument in in like elementary school when you pick it I don't know that at least that's what I've found um and so they would really like only give it to just a random number of people that were like that asked for it first or something so Mm Yeah, I was I was really happy that 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 ended up being it because I think my other two choices were like cello and French horn or something. So I literally, <laughs> I literally have like existential crises whenever I like if I'm a cellist or like a friend. How different my life would be, and so yeah, my fate was decided by a little, a little card that I put <laughs> in the in, in the the principal's office or something, <laughs> and then they ran the shows. So. That's that's,
1: oh. how I look at this. <laughs> <laughs> that's very similar to I grew up in um I did half of my schooling in Texas and the school that I went to was very passionate about music and they had a very robust program and it was very similar. Like we had um they gave you like you had your top three choices then you came in for this like audition where you like played each of the mouthpieces and they told you like yeah you're suited for this or like no we're gonna put you in the drums or we're gonna do this with you and um I think they told me to play trumpet but I did the same thing I was like I want to play flute it's like light and girly and it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't want to I was like I didn't want to buzz my lips all day (laughs) Little did I know. Oh, the that
2: was the determination. I, I still, yeah, I, I admire brass people for that. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> the whole other world. I
0: remember I picked saxophone, like alto sax. Mm-hmm. And then, like, my last year of junior high, they're like, you know, we really need a baritone sax. Same fingerings. So don't worry.
2: You know, it's just bigger. The, the selling points. Yeah. Very yeah, bad. like
0: so, it's nothing you have to learn. It's just bigger. You, you'd be fine. You know, you'll take it home and you'll practice. I remember getting the box and I was like, Man. I "Wheels on it? Why does it have wheels on it?" <laughs> I was like it can't be that heavy. <laughs> and I lived like three miles from my junior high, so I was like, "I'll just I'll walk it home. It's fine." Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Go like a block, and I'm like, "No, th- thank God it has wheels. i going to drag it with me."
2: <laughs> I'd say I actually had the reverse situation of that, which. Like, I always got so much salt about from people, where in marching band, I can't believe, oh my goodness, I forgot to mention this when I was talking about high school. Um, Marching band was a huge part of my high school, uh, you know, time, identity, community. It It was just, like, really the thing. And it's funny, I always say to people, it was like the reverse stereotype at my high school, where... Like the cool thing was to be a marching band, and like the football team, like wasn't that cool. So oh <laughs> everyone was like come to like the football games to like see the marching band, and it was just such a great. Uh, it was so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so I I say I had the reverse because I played piccolo and marching band because they I'll I'll never forget it was my first day at band clinic and you know my my high school did it really hardcore where we all summer long was devoted to marching bands so we had like our two-week pre-clinic and I remember on the first day as like a tiny little freshman I came in and the band director at the time like pointed me out in the middle of the entire like 300 person band and was like do you want to play piccolo?" <laughs> Piccolo at all, and I'm just like sure. (laughs) And and then I went home, and I'm like, Mom, we got to get a piccolo. Uh, (laughs) So, (laughs) so let's uh, yeah, let's get on this. So, and I ended up playing piccolo in marching band for three years before then. I became a rank leader, and then I was drum major my senior year, and that was another like lifelong and i'm i guess by lifelong i mean the high school long dream that i had was to be a drum major and it was like it was just such a cool thing like you had this white uniform with like you know a really cool hat and all these like yeah. <laughs> 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 it was super cool and i actually like took so much pride in that uniform it was so fun to wear and you got the whistle and the megaphone, and it just—it was like a whole look that was really short. <laughs> so I and the power. The power I got. <laughs> oh my God, I got so drunk with power. I would be like on that ladder, like I did the opener piece. So I led the parade block like down the street, and I like opened the show with the whistle. And oh my goodness, it was—it was like peak. The. <laughs> that was, those were those were some great times. <laughs>
0: You were the starting the quarterback. quarterback. That's what you
2: were. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually had to communicate with the football team. That was like a thing where I actually almost got like run over by them multiple times. And I had to sort of like start because since I started the show, I had to like coordinate with the football coach and then my band director. And it was all like a five second exchange that the pressure was like insane. I mean, it was yeah. really- run like a military kind of thing and it was i mean yeah i was in charge of the brass block too that was an experience let's say (laughs) the stereotypes in that are real so (laughs) (laughs) so that was that was fun but uh but yeah i enjoyed every second of that that was and that was a really um that was a learning experience that position because basically you know you're in charge of like a 300 plus at that point person band and so you know between like kind of being in charge of morale and you know just in general the you know the wooden soldier like demeanor that the, right. the band had you know it was it was a real um it was an amazing experience i mean i really enjoyed it and i love you know it was kind of you were a leader front and center and also behind the scenes which i mm. think actually taught me a lot about I don't know just in life it gave a lot of life skills that were really uh that are imperative now thinking back so it it was a great experience
0: that's great yeah i remember seeing your pictures of you and your your drum major outfit and
2: (laughs) oh uh, yeah there's not one that (laughs) that my friends all have is like blackmail material it's basically I'll never forget that moment too like I was coming down the field and it was like since I started the show I was in the center and so I'm walking down and this Newsday photographer like got down and was like following me as I was walking and I literally thought I'm like I'm gonna run this guy over and like he's gonna (laughs) have with it because I'm just like walking and I'm not gonna stop and so it was just it was so funny and I remember he was kind of like running as I was walking toward him he's like (laughs) total like eyes on eyes on the prize kind of vibe
0: <laughs> yeah you were in the zone like you were like focused
2: oh yeah oh my gosh I I tell people I don't think I've ever been <laughs> that much like in the zone because it was on tv too oh so, wow yeah, it was one of those things where I, I got on the ladder and there's like this big center ladder that the the camera always focuses on but then this became a joke with me and my friends even years later now that they for some reason when you watch the video they focused on me for like, I wanna say a minute and 30 seconds, and that doesn't sound like a long time, but when you're- forever. And you just have like the whistle awkwardly in your mouth like waiting to start. (laughs) And the camera guy is just like totally zeroed in on your face. (laughs) And I'm standing there like waiting for this announcer to stop speaking and I like awkwardly took the whistle out of my mouth. All on camera, which I just love, and I put it back in my mouth because right as I took it out, they were like saying, Oh, and now we're gonna start, and I'm like, Great! Guys, <laughs> <to> <laughs> so, yeah, that was definitely an unforgettable night, that's for sure. I
1: love that that minute of your life will live in infamy. <laughs>
2: yeah. You're probably just like, they're not looking. It's on YouTube for all to see, so forever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Just look up Northport marching band.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's the slide for the festival,
2: if you're curious? You can't miss it.
0: Oh. And so while you were doing all of this music stuff, you were also involved in dance, correct? Yes. Oh my goodness. Did you sleep? I mean like
2: in the beginning, no, but <laughs> So yeah, I can start with um so my dance journey, I'll I'll go back to the beginning. So I actually started dancing before music. So oh, okay. I, I always say like I entered music kind of thinking as a mover, like in movement. Um so I I started when I was four. I started ballet and um my my mom always jokes with me. She she put me, you know, like when some your kid is little, you, you put them in a bunch of things and see what they like. And so I uh I she tried me out in like a bunch of sports and I hated them. I totally like I was on the soccer field and I walked up to her like, I hate this. <laughs> back. So then with ballet, uh I loved it and I'm like, I'm gonna do this. This is I like this this is very uh graceful and elegant so then I uh so that ended up being another thing that just really took off and so I I ended up rising through the ranks at this school I went to Posey School of Dance which was ever so fairy tale like down the hill from my house <laughs> my my childhood home and so my mom and I would walk down like every Saturday and, and she dropped me off there and I, I have very vivid memories of that and even me and my my childhood best friend danced there, um, and we, we there's just like so many uh, really lovely, lovely memories. And now I actually am a ballet teacher there and a company coach. So that's one of the most like full circle things I've ever experienced. And um, because I spent my whole childhood there, really, and every weekend, you know, with school, and so then it gets to the point where um or it got to the point where I actually wanted to pursue ballet professionally. So that was actually my first career track, so to speak. And you kind of have to figure this out at a very young age. So really dancer is sort of adult early, um, because you're Mm -hmm. you're forced to make a lot of these very mature decisions very young. And you kind of have to have like you have to foresee a lot of things in life or at least try to so i i'd say the turning point pun intended for me was when (laughs) i went to or i got accepted into the joffrey ballet school summer intensive in new york and so i thought okay like this uh, eventually people start doing summer programs and and things like that so um Mm -hmm. that's where you kind of really get exposed to the the real world quote unquote in ballet so I I did that for a week. And that was unforgettable for so many reasons. I still can like, you know, smell the rosin in that like old New York studio. And it was just (laughs) an audition experience. It was really invaluable. And my first I took my first partnering class there, which which ended up leading to my love for partnering and all different kinds of dance styles and uh and then, what was really the training point was they offered me at thirteen um to be a Joffrey trainee year round, which means that you basically train to be in there in their company or in another New York company. And so you, you essentially almost go to like a form of high school that they have, but really you're, you're working as like a professional ballet dancer. Wow. So at that point, I, I remember I, I, my mom's like, I was talking with my mom about it and my dad and, you know, they, they are so incredibly supportive and they were like, you know, we'll back you no matter what. Um, but, you know, I had to really think about what I wanted and, So I essentially chose that for a multitude of reasons that I was going to go to high school and college and (laughs) pursue, you know, academics and, and music and dance in kind of the way I wanted to, as opposed to the traditional, you know, professional dancer life. And, you know, like I said, for the reasons of that, everything from the, the career is kind of a lot shorter if you're just solely a professional ballet dancer. Um, you know, my I was in a lot of pain. Uh, my body was just like really not having it. And so I, I took a hiatus then for about, I want to say, three or four-ish years. And it was a point where I actually couldn't even go to see ballet or dance. I had to totally... Mentally separate and just sort of like take time to reevaluate that role in my life. And then really, when I got to college, that's when it started coming back and melding into my sound work and my music work. Barnard has a an excellent dance department with the most like inspiring faculty that they get. And so because of that, I almost thought to myself, like, oh, it would be a sin if I didn't, you know, explore this here. And so that's wow. where I started sort of realizing that I could create my own style. My, you know, my my ballet background, of course, influences everything I do. But then I started getting into modern and contact improvisation. And, you know, the New York dance scene is just like a bottomless abyss of of such interesting people and, you know, like movement research at Judson church. And, you know, I, I took a class actually in college where we went to see 12 dance performances in a semester for free. And it was everything from like salsa at the Brooklyn museum to New York city ballet to like everything. And so I, I really fell in love with, um, the way i started to pursue dance there and that's when i started choreographing as well so then i ended up kind of really seeing the parallels between like composition choreography fluting composing and i i just like i thought to myself why are these things so separate like why why are they always treated as such separate disciplines and mindsets and practices and so it became my aim to really meld them and also expose the parallels between them and, you know, be all of those things in my career. So that's ultimately how it got me to where I am now.
0: Wow, that's cool.
2: <laughs> Thanks.
0: No, I'm just like, um, you know, I have, I have a couple kids and I remember putting them into ballet and this was in tiny little Idaho and stuff. We had a good ballet company, um, but most of the kids were really serious about it and mine were kind of there, <laughs> but they got the nice, pretty tutus and things, you know? Um, but the,
2: You know, the tutu and the point shoes and the, that's, that's a milestone.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then they like, I remember one point they were supposed to do the splits and like all the girls were pretty far down and mine were just kind of like, like this, you know, kind of still standing. They hadn't even gotten very far. I'm like, Hannah, I think we're kind of seeing the signs here. I think
2: it's. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's actually, it's funny you mentioned that because at first I was not naturally flexible at all. Like actually I was, I had to work really hard to attain the, the level of flexibility that you need, like my my back wasn't really that flexible, and my the splits. I was I I remember countless nights doing homework in splits, literally or like straddles. Wow. Sort of <laughs> it took a lot of um, yeah, a lot of commitment and discipline, and it's something you even have to nurture and maintain. Even now, I mean, being a ballet teacher definitely helps because. You know, I'm creating combinations for my students, and even this past weekend, I just auditioned them for Sleeping Beauty. And it's like you mm. kind of, you know, as a teacher, you really got to keep up with it um, to keep yeah. up with them. And so, I uh, so that helps, but also just even in my own work and the commissions I'm working on, and you know, my my own practice, I constantly have to keep up the flexibility and the stretching and it becomes meditative after a while like honestly i just love i i even like write emails doing splits or something Wow. <laughs> it's, it's just like a, yeah i kind of just sit there and <laughs> let my body do its thing and just <laughs> do my other things you know it's a multitasking kind of <laughs> just
0: don't do it on the new york city subway
2: <laughs> yeah i mean that that's the only place where i've, I've had a little difficulty <laughs> <to> <laughs>
0: do you really need to take up that whole row of seats like
2: yeah maybe at night you know there's not as many people on it anymore so i could get away with it occasionally go. yeah <laughs> gotta be subtle about it though <laughs> the subway dancers get me They, they, they...
0: <laughs> i didn't know like they 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 were like they i've seen pictures of people doing like homework and and on the computer in the splits and stuff and i was just like is it just like their body is so flexible, it just kind of flops to these things now? But, uh, you know, like a basset hound's ears just kind of flop to a side or something,
1: you know? But.
2: Just hanging out, you know? Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. This is just where I go
2: these days. It's uh, just straight
0: out,
1: straight out.
2: Like all the way in the up at like 12 o'clock. Just,
0: just. Yeah. Out. <laughs> like, oh, I need to close that dresser up there. Whoop, You know?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. You know? But like to think of it like no, they're actually constantly stretching that and stuff It's like, oh why I don't know why that wouldn't have crossed my mind before, you know.
2: It's not purely for show. Yeah,
0: we get it. You're flexible.
2: I <laughs> oh <my laughs> why are you still stretching? It's A nice little show off thing sometimes to yeah, to, cocktail, to throw it at a party. It's a good cocktail combo, but yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this makes me feel better about all my like. I um got into yoga about ten years ago, and like I, like you, was not flexible. Like growing up, was always like rigid and locked up, and like it's like once you start like exploring that movement, like I just became like addicted to it. I was like I would do yoga like between classes, or you know I do like a quick stretch in the hallway, and I'm like I'm always that that person like before an event stretching (laughs) like everyone's just like who are you what are you doing or like oh that looks like it feels good it does
2: (laughs) and it's funny because you know you get into yeah like you get into that routine and eventually your body starts craving it in a way and even I find myself you know like you said kind of taking even like a 10 minute block or if I have like 20 minutes and I just like quickly do do a stretch or something (laughs) yeah
1: Whatever. <laughs> I do that in my office now at work and I'm like what do my coworkers know like they joked that they're like you're gonna have a yoga mat in here pretty soon I was like I think that'd be a great addition
2: <laughs> and I mean now that I work so much from home you know with with like composing and, and choreographing and all these things I I end up just kind of like wearing my dance clothes all the time like just in case <laughs> I want to do something so I have like my choreography like my moon boots yes <laughs>
1: I love it's it. It's
2: so comfortable. <laughs> and I just like, I wear them around my apartment all the time and it's, it's great. So. <laughs> yes,
1: I love it.
0: I've never been flexible a moment in my life. So.
1: It, <laughs> it took two years to be able to touch my toes. Like I remember like the first time my fingertips hit the ground, I was like, this is magical. <laughs> like, but it took a long time. <laughs>
2: Ah, no, it takes a lot. It looks easy. You know, it's something that when someone just kind of does it, and in a minute, it it looks so easy to execute, but it takes a (laughs) lot.
1: You go to do it, and you're like, oh,
2: man. (laughs) (laughs) How do they do that? Oh, yeah, it's it's goals, for sure.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, I remember growing up watching the, the Seattle Ballet production of The Nutcracker. Like, every Christmas, we watched that, and I was just like, oh that's so cool they're so strong especially the the male ballerinas and being able to like oh, hold people up one arm and I'm just like oh yeah what are you doing you know and they jump like six feet in the air and it doesn't look like it's hard and I'm like oh look there's a crack in the sidewalk trip you know it's just like,
2: <laughs> although you know some partners drop you that's something that I haven't really experienced and oh no <laughs> <laughs> during nutcracker actually there was a rehearsal during joffrey and uh they were doing a nutcracker variation and i was like i'll never forget this it was i was going across the floor and my partner was kind of like a little bit too tall for me, but they mm-hmm. sort of put him with me because they're like, oh, you, you guys just go together. And so then he was like jumping into, it's kind of hard to explain in words, but I was like jumping into his shoulders sort of. And he had to like, catch me on his shoulder and it's a really tricky move to execute as a 13 year old (laughs) so i I jumped and then he kind of like half caught me and i remember i wish someone had this on videotape i was like slowly like crawling down his body (laughs) i felt myself falling (laughs) it was almost like in slow motion (laughs) (laughs) i was like falling!" I had like major trust issues with my partners. Yeah,
1: we like uh me and him, not gonna work.
2: <laughs> I'm like, we're gonna rehearse this like multiple times before we drop me again. And then before we jump into
0: them, so. <laughs> is that the yeah. one where they jump? You jump onto his shoulder and then he holds you by your armpits, kind of thing. Yes.
2: Okay. Oh yeah, that yeah. One is is a, that's a
0: beast. <laughs> I would always like envision myself like jumping onto their shoulder and then like flipping over somehow you know it's like it's not not survivable you know
2: it's kind of gonna happen like when you do it you're like oh it's just gonna work you know (laughs) really when you jump and then you never know if they're gonna you know like their arm is gonna go in a wrong spot or sometimes they whack you in the face I've had that too oh no you know, the as as one New York City ballet dancer put it, the rehearsal process is not cute. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not cute at all. <laughs> but it's uh, it's an experience, you know. And I, I think my ironically, my my love of partnering came from uh, you know, my, my time at Joffrey that I, I sort of uh I fell in love with this idea of um, you know, that sort of like physical and mental intimacy between two people and like the subtleties that you can bring out between them. And I think mm-hmm. you know, many of my favorite ballets at New York City Ballet. And I'm like a New York City Ballet junkie. So <laughs> the you know the ballets like duo concertante or even like Apollo and the Padet Deux, like these yeah. things where people you see these like small little subtleties in the inner workings of how they're interacting and communicating with each other through movement. And I think that's just such a powerful thing when that's you can see it with your eyes just how they're moving and and really feeling each other out. And I think that's what I love even about contact improvisation because that's essentially where you're improvising with another person and you're just sort of seeing where each other goes and feeling out what you're both doing with each other. So that's, that's a really, really cool experience and process.
0: Wow. So during, that's crazy. So like during contact improvisation, are you, thinking of not just like your partner, but what's going on in the music too, or is it solely based on what you each other are doing?
2: Yeah, so basically I guess it. The, my first experience with contact improv was actually in silence, which was really fascinating. Um, I was in a class for it and the the instructor had it where we were partnered with somebody and actually they had to cover our eyes with their hands and lead us oh, wow. around. And so it was kind of getting used to that idea of someone else leading you just blindly, really. And so mm-hmm. yeah. that kind of like they controlled our head and you know our hands and our even our legs and stuff like that. So we had to really—it was like a trust exercise, kind of, wow. in, with your partner. And then I'm one was like flashbacks like trigger but so it ended up working out and it's it's nice because it feels very um natural I mean I guess people can do this in various ways but you know it was like barefoot and we were just kind of in comfy clothes and and just seeing like you know where we'd hold each other's hand and kind of like test out the tension and and see you know what basically just what our bodies wanted to do in that moment it's it's a very spontaneous sort of thing but a lot of interesting stuff can come out of it because it's basically almost like improvising on an instrument. It's actually exactly like that when you're improvising with other people and you kind of just ride the wave of mm-hmm. what's happening and you just sort of see what happens out of that.
1: Man, that's really cool. That sounds like such a, like, I don't know, just fascinating experience because you're, you know, you're mind-melding with somebody, but you you got the, the, oh, that's just really cool. <laughs> I'm like, I want to go try
2: this. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, once once those classes open again, I uh, I can't wait to get back into that.
0: I don't know if my wife would let me do that just to her, you know, just lead her blindly around. She'd be like, no, you're going to make me do something. Stop it.
1: You
2: know? no, it's fun. It's fun to try out with, uh, with your spouse. I think, that, I think that's a good idea. Good,
1: um. Bonding moments, trust, working through some trust issues. Yeah.
2: It exposes a lot of yeah. It exposes a lot of stuff. So. Wow. All around.
0: So I, if if I can, I'd love to know you studied with one of my favorite composers, living composers, uh, Georg Haas.
2: Oh okay. Yes I did.
0: How was that?
2: <laughs> that was a really amazing experience honestly. He he it's it's actually funny you mentioned him because he is the one I pinpoint as the person who ultimately inspired me to meld my practices. Oh. Um, I'll yeah actually I'll never forget the conversation we had um my my I think this was yeah my junior year of college I took composition with him at Columbia. And uh, I remember we were in a lesson and I was talking with him about a piece I wrote for the class called V-Motrix, which um, is basically, uh, it's a term, a Latin term for force, but the female form of force, that's basically Mm. the the meaning behind it. And so so I wrote this piece and it was for, he had such interesting assignments and prompts for that class that really blew your mind. So this prompt was, We had to write a piece for our own voice, our own selves, basically, and like almost like take with that what you will. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to write a piece for voice, body, and breath as three separate Mm -hmm. saves. So almost like those are three separate parts within one body. And so this really got me thinking about the body with sound and in very you know unusual ways. And so I was sitting with him in a lesson, and he said to me, you know, I the the extensive knowledge you have in movement and sound is a rare thing and you have you must do something with that like you have to go with that and mm. and I and he and it was a very kind of um, when he said it it just really resonated with me and I and I thought to myself yeah like I'm I'm gonna do this and so he kind of gave me that um, that mental push because for a while I I had this in my head and I kind of wanted to do it but then between the prompt he assigned and just you know his his inspirational words and and support, it was really um, yeah it was a transformative uh, class for me. And then you know he became one of the you know someone very very important to my you know musical career at Columbia. And so yeah, his class was truly extremely transformative. I'll I'll never forget that. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, and, and his music too is is so oh, uh, yeah. so striking. You know, of course. So to to hear his feedback on your own music and and to you know hear his stories and and, and everything, it's it's really invaluable. For sure. I,
0: I remember stumbling across his string quartets just uh haphazardly on YouTube one day. You know, and it's just like mind completely blown by all of it, and just it opened yeah. up a whole new world of sound to me. You know. Truly. And I
2: actually had, um, I was so thankful during the pandemic, the very beginning of it um, through, I want to say like right when it started in March to throughout the summer, he had, and this was so sweet, he had a seminar every week for the Columbia grad students and whoever else wanted to join in. Like I often sat in on a lot of the grad comp seminars And he held a composition seminar every Friday, like an unofficial seminar, he'd call it. And he brought in like these amazing guests, like um, Beat Fuhrer and uh, Lachenmann, and you know, mind blowing. And so, and we just talk about life and composition and you know, things, And, and it actually made all the difference looking back um at the beginning of the lockdown like i would look forward to that seminar every single week and you know everyone did like it was something to do it was something to connect you with everybody and you know it was yeah that was i mean i'm so thankful to him for that that was really really wonderful
0: has his music inspired any choreography ideas or any ideas for dance or anything for you
2: yeah, I'd say I mean from, from what he showed us in class and just generally his style um opened my mind to a lot of different possibilities in, in movement and sound and and just the you know the the conversations I had with him, especially about my own piece um v Motrix, the the kind of uh connection between and this was actually the most I, I guess I I should say the most raw piece that involved just like my body itself with the sounds that I made with my breath like it was a very personal intimate piece Mm -hmm. um because it was voice body and breath I kind of had uh I wrote text for myself to write and then it was basically about the pushing the physical boundaries and how that affected the the sounds you make so like I'd almost tire myself out through the piece intentionally, and then that would have an effect on my breath, of course, my the way I speak, um, you know, things like that. And so that actually even got me thinking about my relationship with the flute and my body, because then you know, the flute is basically it's the closest thing to the singing, you know, because it's right. such a direct air flow. So that really got me thinking like, oh, I could do this with my flute. And so like that class was really, you know, thinking back was the root of so much, um, so many ideas that I've had that now, you know, even recently, a couple months ago, I did an improvisation set um, online for and I did like a flute dance thing where I kind of improvised and choreographed a piece with playing flute, kind of harking on similar ideas where I kind of push the physical boundaries and see how that affects my you know my fluting and and things like that so it's uh yeah it opened up a whole pandora's box of, of possibilities in my head
0: that's great
1: i trying to think of like how out of breath i would be because I, I i played the flute back in the day and i was like i never could get that breath support and i'm like i couldn't imagine moving and like <laughs> having
2: to like... hang on, on top of it you're, you're lungs strong <laughs> <long. laughs> I'm just like I'm
1: so odd like I'm gonna bow to your lungs right now right <laughs> like, like that's amazing
2: <laughs> it's definitely it was it was a process learning that I, I'll say again in rehearsal that wasn't cute <laughs> 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 I got
1: dropped a few times but uh,
2: <laughs> I'm in the beginning of the pandemic my parents were blessed with hearing me try- trying to figure that out so <laughs> <laughs> So that was those were good times. But you know, like anything with practice it uh it it, it becomes material. So Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: wow. So that's where I with.
0: So have you written anything for like a large dance core or worked with a um worked kind of back and forth in that kind of sphere?
2: Well, so it's funny, because lately, um, my work has, of course, mainly been solo because of COVID. And um, that, you know, usually I had all these ideas for projects with dancers and people I wanted to collaborate with. But then with with COVID, I, I was really faced with this reality where, you know, no one... I, there was no one around me to to work with, to partner, you know, that sort of thing. And so mm-hmm. that's actually how I ended up creating this compositional choreographic series that I have called Paré de Sans Un, which is stands for two without one. So emphasizing that absence of the second person there with mm-hmm. you or multiple people. Um, so then, you know, I started partnering inanimate things at first. So I did, you know, like I partnered a wall, a chair, the floor, and, you know, basically whatever was around my apartment, um, that I was like, oh, I could, I could move with that and trying to create these different sorts of energy channels. Cause obviously, you know, when you're partnering a person, there's there's an obvious active channel of communication going on between you. Whereas, you know, with, with objects, it's a lot less uh, straightforward than that. So I was trying (laughs) to, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, it's a little bit uh, less, less um, activity based. But I I kind of was like exploring all these different ways to sort of interface and communicate with a, a thing. And really that actually even developed more so when I did, a residency with um, Banff which was a a choreography residency back in September and that was really that kind of transformed a lot of my ideas with the series and then I started that really was the the point where I wanted to move to even partnering what I call intangible things like intangible matter Mm -hmm. so that's where this project Requiem for Anchorage partnering passing time came into play. this term Anchorage which essentially uh, it has a very specific definition in this resource called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows which I tend to utilize a lot in my composing Um, but it's a term that basically paints this picture of someone sort of falling down a stream and you're trying Mm -hmm. to hold on to something desperately and then someone's telling you like it's okay you can let go but you're Desperately trying to hold on to even though everything is trying to pull you away. Mm. So I thought that was a really potent imagery and I wanted to create a piece based on that and especially given COVID, you know, with with the loss and the, you know, just the amount of reflection and, and trying to hold on desperately to things that you feel like you're losing control over rapidly And um, so, you know, based on a lot of personal experience, of course, I I wanted to to create a piece about this. And then I thought passing time would be something that I could partner. And I thought, what if time is a a substance to like move with and communicate with? Like, what would it look like if, you know, what would it sound like and what would it feel like to to move with time? And so um, that's ultimately the that was the base of my inspiration for that piece um so and that was kind of a that was of course a um you know it was a solo dance thing but then with uh the part one of it is a a version of me on flute and I composed it and choreographed and danced so it's sort of like the me doing the four things which is kind of the most internal thing to me since it's my four voices communicating mm-hmm. with each other and then the part two of it, which will be released this spring, is with a wonderful group of Triangle, uh, who are all dear friends of mine. It's a trio, and uh, they will they will be doing an ensemble or uh, basically an ensemble response to it. So that's almost like the external element. And uh, yeah, so I'm really I'm looking forward to to releasing that project. Yeah, that's
1: such a cool video. I was so excited to check that out. Um man the like cinematography just like the way everything is layered and like paired with the music like I was blown away I just I thought it was the coolest freaking thing (laughs) like I, I was like man who's this dancer I wonder if that's her and then I was like holy cow it is her like it's just oh man like I just love like it's so thoughtful the way you have like every layer just seems so like well planned and they all work together and that delay is just absolutely stunning and beautiful and i can't wait for part two <laughs>
2: yeah the, the video editing was um that that was definitely something that took a lot of uh kind of mental conceiving but with the help of my uh my collaborator Ron bosserman um who's the principal bassist of the new york city ballet orchestra he's a very close collaborator of mine and he helped me out with the video editing and i kind of told him um, you know, we bounce ideas off each other all the time. So I, I was telling him what I wanted with this and I thought, okay, like I'm I'm imagining like past versions of me trailing me in the video, and it sort of contributes to this whole image where I'm essentially partnering past versions of myself. And mm-hmm. if you kind really of even like pause in certain parts of the video, or if you if you hone in on certain stills, you'll see that my hands are sometimes like supporting myself or they're the subtleties, like I said, that I like to always bring out in choreography and composition. And so I was, I was trying to figure out like how to do that. And then of course, Ron is a, is a wizard in, in Final Cut. And he, he's like, he's like yeah. give me like two days, I got you. <laughs> so, and then he, yeah, he did a wonderful job with um, bringing that to life. So, yeah. that was, yeah. yeah, I
1: really enjoyed like, just every new movement, it was like, okay, what is this going to, how is that going to look when the, when it's trailed and it's trailed again? And like, oh, it's just such a cool video to watch. <laughs> Thank
0: you. Yeah, and even though there wasn't like a lot of color, like there was changes in hues, which I thought really kind of masterfully matched the music and the dance, which was really cool.
2: Yeah, I wanted the the one there's the so there's the two kind of versions of me that are trailing with my main body so to speak and I wanted the one of them to be a negative because I thought <laughs> that kind of provided a uh, an interesting contrast or sort of like a ghostly you know already it's pretty ghostly having you know these little (laughs) films of me following me um but you know the negative kind of provided even a different um color contrast even though it's still black and white but it sort of makes you see the subtleties even a little bit more in in the you know the three pairs of hands and three pairs of feet and and that sort of thing the three expressions so Yeah.
0: yeah and there's a point where you kind of like kind of jut your hands out but then your body goes the other direction so it's like I don't know it felt like at one point you're being pulled this way but you move the other way and the kind of the contrapuntal nature of the dance with how that reflects with the flute and I mean it was just such a cool thing and
2: yeah push and pull is definitely a common theme in a lot of my choreography (laughs) I love sort of the The idea, and especially with that mental image of that Anchorage definition, I was thinking about, you know, holding on to something within the reality of life pulling me back and that sort of constant tension and and push and pull. So I had that idea in my head throughout choreographing it because actually it was mostly um a lot of it is based on improvisation I usually Mm -hmm. that's how I start choreographing is I just see kind of what my body does and then Mm -hmm. so a lot of that was just sort of movements that I I was like drawn to with I, I started in in silence really but then I had the electronic track that I created at Columbia's Computer Music Center on a euro rack and that was also in combination with some field recordings I took on one rainy Sunday morning at the Riverside church. Um, And so weirdly in that electronic compilation, um, the the screech because it was raining so hard, the screech of the car wheels on gravel emanated the sound of the Euro rack, which I totally did not plan, (laughs) but it actually worked out so beautifully in terms of like the screech of both. And so that, that ended up kind of playing a role in, how I moved, but mostly it was kind of just in silence what I, I felt, almost like what I would hear in by moving, and that's often even how I start composing, so that's how I started composing the piece as well.
1: Wow. Um, oh, that's amazing!
0: <clears throat> wow. It's just, yeah, the process is always so fascinating, you know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's cool. I just, I loved yeah, it, it. so...
2: Amazing personal deep dive to to my, you know, artistic practice and, you know, doing the four things and then working with the ensemble. It's, it was a really um, fulfilling experience all around.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, one of my upcoming projects I have is a, uh, a commission with um, Perry App's Music and Dance based in Brooklyn, and I'm going to be doing this partner piece with um, Jonathan Katz, who's the artistic director of the group, and Um, basically I'll be choreographing and dancing a piece and he's a composer and a pianist but he also partners dancers so it's a really we we have a lot of overlap there and uh, he so he's going to be composing a solo piano piece for him to write that I will dance and choreograph too but what I love is that I can also I can talk about the dance side and the movement side but I can also communicate with him about the sound side and it's one of the most fulfilling things when when collaborating um with either dancers or musicians that i can kind of you know have a a look into each world and you know we can talk about each world in depth and so yeah for a really kind of uh yeah potent experience
1: yeah because that'd be so much different like i feel like if i were to communicate with a dancer it would just be like okay when you're doing the thing with your foot (laughs) like i wouldn't know (laughs) could just you goes like all the way up there <laughs> and it does that thing and they're like yeah your music-y thing on whatever bar that was <laughs> so that's really powerful though that's such a great skill and man that's awesome
2: <laughs> that's <handy. laughs> that's for sure. yeah it's
1: incredibly and you're like the um interpreter for your own I don't know bridge between the two
2: worlds <laughs> that, that's my aim <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah well it kind of leads into one of my other questions which is um you know for a while you know I didn't for a long time I didn't do anything with dance and then in college I was forced into doing a PE course and was like hey ballroom that sounds not as bad as other things you know won't I won't get thrown onto the mat or something you know unless I screw up you know uh but Uh, What I really want to do is uh, having done that, I really started looking at subdivision and rhythm and line differently. Um, And so from your opinion, what do you think musicians could do to incorporate dancers more into music and vice versa?
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think in, in terms of incorporating Musicians into dancers, um, or into the dancers' world, and vice versa. It's it's actually funny. I was just talking with um, Ron about this actually because we had a meeting the other night discussing some upcoming projects between New York City ballet dancers and musicians. And um, I, it's funny because we realized in talking about it that the pandemic, ironically, actually has been enabling these kinds of direct collaborations that haven't Mm -hmm. really been the case before, where, you know, now, you know, people want to get stuff out and and create content. And really, the way to do that is going to the source of each, you know, group rather than, you know, just having the whole institution where you're kind of operating in your own Mm -hmm. bubble, so to speak. And it's like, you're really kind of talking with, the two, you know, the dancers and musicians and going back and forth. So in this meeting the other night, it it really hit me where I'm like, wow, this actually the, you know, maybe one of the silver linings of this is that musicians and dancers are really communicating with each other in a way that hasn't really been um they haven't really been given the platform to do. Mm-hmm. Um and so I I think even in general it's it's important um going on a little bit of a different direction for for choreographers to talk with composers about their process and, and vice versa, you know, composers talking with choreographers, because I, I think that kind of exchange and communication and closeness really um, reflects in the work that we make together. And I think that's what's so striking in the work of, say, I don't know, Balanchine and Stravinsky or even Cage and Cunningham, you can see and hear that closeness and Mm -hmm. and feel the connection with the sound and movement. And it's actually ironic, Cage and Cunningham aimed for for both of the processes to be quite independent from each (laughs) other. Even still, it's like, sorry, but it's like I still see the the connection between you. Um, that you know, you can still tell that there's just so much understanding, you know, between the two. Whereas, I mean, as a musician and a dancer, equally hybrid, I'd say I'm very hypersensitive to this when watching. Um, you know, dances set to music where i I think to myself like oh, like who oh, did they work together like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's something you know i I really aim to do as a as both a composer and choreographer is to um you know enable that kind of communication and invite a sort of like exchange and constant feedback of of both parties and really I think that's where the barrier comes in a lot is that you know the the conversation on both sides like not necessarily knowing how to converse with the composer versus the choreographer you know um Mm -hmm. but really I think understanding each other's creative processes and you know that given that there are so many parallels also between composition and choreography and you know that there's even though in in choreography there's not really a set notation system um you know as a composer I actually coming into choreography as a composer was a really beneficial thing because I came in with all these notation systems in my head and you know, I thought to myself, okay, well, I can sort of uh, amalgamate together, like I do with everything, just amalgamate together, (laughs) my own little, um, you know, form of notation with choreographing. And really, it's a very personal thing when choreographing. I I don't know any two people who really have the same process with that. So, you know, I do a combination of like videotaping myself, or, um, you know, I I have my own little shorthand, or even I, I tend to even write more like aleatoric graphic scores and composing because that's mm-hmm. sort of a choreographic thing in my head. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think really understanding the the connections between the two and and creating those conversations between both parties really sort of opens the the door for for more close collaboration and I think now you know I wrote my thesis on composer choreographer relationships from like the 20th century to now so this is like one of my, <laughs> one of my <laughs> 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 that's awesome <laughs> but uh, I think that you know it's it's one of those things where in the Balanchine Stravinsky era and Cage and Cunningham and those kinds of close partnerships they they worked together. I mean, you know, and with Cage and Cunningham, I mean that was even a life partnership, which adds a whole other special, you know, intimate layer to that. But right. you know, with Balanchine and Stravinsky, it's like they were committed to creating a lot of work side by side and together. And to me, you can really hear that the the close, you know, connections between the two. And mm-hmm. um, and so I think nowadays it's a lot different because I mean, naturally with technology and Spotify apple music youtube like these resources were really and as a choreographer i've experienced this where you can you know i take my sony headphones and i go in a studio and you have the world of music at your fingertips and you choose something you like and then it's like Okay, well, you know, gonna ask the composer if it's cool to use it, <laughs> and, that's, and that oftentimes is the the end of the collaboration in a way. Um, I mean, of course, there's other discourse that <clears> goes <going throat> on, but um, yeah, I, I find it's oftentimes it's not all the time, but you know, a lot of the time nowadays it's a much more isolated process. Between composers and choreographers, so I'm very passionate about that idea of getting them in the same room and you know yeah. like for an hour or something you know, and really having it be a side by side sort of process and I think because my I use my two voices side by side all the time with that, it almost highlights to me that you know there are two voices involved, and you know they have to be constantly you know informing each other, because I think my choreographic voice constantly, you know, informs my compositional one. And most <laughs> the, So it's like, I it can't help. There's like the, you know, the devil angel. On the oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <killer. Shut up. laughs> like, yeah. Stretching. No, you should be composing. You're composing <laughs> while doing this. While stuff. composing. <laughs> <I'll do
1: both.
2: laughs> <laughs> so I think that's that's definitely something I'm very cognizant of is is that communication between between both voices.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, sorry, go ahead, Hilary.
1: I love how you refer to them as as your two voices because I I feel like it's so easy to put them in separate boxes and be like, oh, movement and voice are not even like closely related. But I love how you. Talk about movement and it's like, no, this is an expression. It does the same thing my voice does. It expresses things and it speaks and it has its own language and its own notation. And I just, I love how you, how easy you make that to understand and share with everyone because I feel like that's such a valuable I don't know. It's a valuable idea, and I, I hope that you get to spread it with everybody.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you know, being the people's choreographer, so to speak, is is somewhat of a goal of mine because I even even choreographically, I I have a sort of an ethos that I like to or that I've developed over the years where I I like to incorporate going back to the subtleties idea. Um, I I feel very strongly about choreographing movements that people recognize so it's almost like choreographing things that it, you know let's just say pirouettes and grand jetés across the floor are awesome they're <laughs> cool I, I love them i've done them <laughs> they're great but you know it's it's something that's still like you know people pay 500 bucks to see that but also it's it's intangible like it's something that is viewed as this superhuman kind of quality that's in this mystical bubble on stage that's like untouchable and flawless and so While that's a, you know, there's always a place for that. I love choreographing movements that non dancers make, so to speak. Mm. So, like, dance things that actions that people have filled the frames of, or they've realized or done in, in their private moments in life. And I think that's a really, I think that hits people a certain way. And I think during COVID, this especially became uh, this surfaced in my artistic practice, because I, you know, of course, connection is the thing that we've all been craving. And, um, you know, that, and I think the recognition of, I want to connect with my audience. I, I care about that. And so I, I envision doing that as, you know, the closest thing to that for me is having it where I have these movements that people, no, and they they're like oh i've you know in their head even subconsciously or consciously like i've i've done that with somebody or i've done this myself or you know like the, a little like choreography yeah. even of the eyes or of the fingers you know something like very subtle and um potent you know and i think oftentimes the most the simplest gestures are the most potent ones because it it kind of recalls a memory or, or something like that. And um, you know, that's why I often love to, with this idea of partnering absent people, I think it's it sort of creates this this um you know this world for people to relate to. And um so I think that's that's something in my choreographic and compositional work really. I mean empathy is a general theme in a lot of my work that I try to I, I even try to surpass it if that's even possible um through you know, like really embodying physically these movements of everyday people, everyday life. Um, And that's really the things that people feel in their bones, as opposed to, you know, seeing things that are very cool to see, and that a lot of dancers do that are like, wow, you know, but also the things that with my dance training, I can bring out more sharp, sharply, basically. And so I always like to say it that I, I sharpen what would otherwise get away with being blurry. That's kind of mm, the way to go by. And um, cause you know, everyday life is so fast. And even though time it has like no meaning right now, it's still, you know, it's things get really blurry. And um, I, I like to sort of slow down and shine a microscope on those kinds of moments. So, and, and personally, that's also very fulfilling for me as well. Yeah. And it,
1: it feels like and I, I don't know, just this reminded me of like the the idea and composition or like the form of like I'm trying to remember which professor told me this, but they're like you can kind of create a language for your audience and then once you've created that language, then you can tell your story. But it's like until you've created that. But I, I love that you are it's like the language you're creating is essentially one that we all speak, but we're not necessarily aware of. Um so that's just really cool to see that show up and dance. Um and man, I just like <laughs> it's like you said. You watch those people on stage, and you're like, okay, your mirror neurons fire, and they go, oh, I can't do that. But when you see something that you can do, like it just resonates with you, it hits you a little harder, I feel like, than than the the fantasy version, which is still fun to watch. <laughs>
2: there, there's always a place for that. So <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: that's very cool.
0: Yeah. So I just have one question for you. Well, one last question for you. Um, (laughs) As a dancer, what would be your dream uh, piece to dance to?
2: Wow. Okay. So this is a real loaded question for me because I have a lot of different answers for a lot of different reasons. So I'll, I'll go into a few of them. Um, So I'd say uh, a piece that I've been wanting to make a piece to for a while is Ted Hearn's Love Mosaics excerpt in mm. the middle of something. And I I discovered this piece through a Times article over the summer. Um and it's really striking and it kind of has this uh this bite to it that's that's very potent and um it's it's unusual for, for a dance piece, but I I started envisioning movement as soon as I heard it. So that's something that I've kind of been fooling around with choreography with on the side. Um, so there's that. And then also many pieces by the group seller, if you know them, I don't. Um, basically a, a collaboration between a couple initially they're, they're like drone artists. Um, and the, it's actually, it's a sad story. The, um, the, the wife passed away. And I think it was 2009 and, and the husband continued the project and, it was it was kind of a very close collaboration between the two and so they have this series of ambient music that is so like i mean it's it's almost like haunting to the point of uh, it really blows your mind i'm i'm really obsessed with it and it's it goes on for forever like it's almost it's something that is endlessly engaging which i feel like is one of the most challenging things as a composer is to keep that engagement. And it's very, you know, it goes on very simple ideas, but then they just expand and like turn it inside out in all of these different ways. So it it holds a lot of personal meaning for me. And um, I I recently actually even choreographed a piece to one of those pieces. And it was really kind of a visceral experience. So I'd love to choreograph more to their work. And usually choreographers actually don't, um don't tend to choreograph to ambient music, I find. Right. Lack of cues, it's it's a little bit less instinctive. But I actually find lately I'm being drawn more to that sort of thing. Um it's it's an interesting challenge. Um and I think you have to go off of like you have to really know the choreography very well because you're there are very subtle cues you can go off of, but it's not like, you know, Mozart cadence, bam.
0: Right, right. <laughs>
2: A lot less, um, less straightforward. But so that's one. And then also, <laughs> this is this is an odd one out. But Bach's Violin Concerto uh, in A minor, the Andante. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think W V ten forty one or something. And uh, I'm I'm very into a specific phrase in that piece in particular that I've choreographed like a million things to, and I'm still trying to find the right um, the right thing for it. But Um, I think that even keys into how I listen to music. It's a little bit weird, but um, I I never know really quite how to articulate it. But I I always zero in on these moments in the sonic fabric, so to speak. And I, I sort of mentally catalog these moments in a certain piece. And I don't usually actually listen to whole pieces. I listen to these little fragments that I kind of just mentally store and i even mm-hmm. remember like where they are on spotify or something and i just like fast forward to them and relisten. Yeah. <laughs> i can relate to this <laughs> yes because <laughs> <laughs> it's something that i like I, I constantly do and i have this whole mental catalog of like all these little micro moments and so that really is the basis for a lot of choreographic ideas like i get really oh. stuck on that and i sort of just listen to it 500 times and that's really like how to choreograph to something really? At least in my in my processes, because I have to really just know the music like inside and out to to begin, even to move to it in a light sense. But um, so then there's Bach, and then total other side of the spectrum. Um, unless you're one of the Bach the believers that Bach started atonality, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Morton Feldman's uh Paille de des Mari, I think. Um it's that's a really fascinating piece and I'd love to choreograph it because it's so I actually did choreograph a piece to Feldman, um one of my pieces in Padre de Sansun where I partnered the chair. I did a piece to um I I think it was Triadic Memories. Um, But I'm really fascinated by the simplicity going on, the whole like simplicity of gesture thing. I think that's reflected in a lot of Feldman's music, the simplicity and the repetition and kind of like with subtle shifts each time. So I'm very attracted to that physically. I think that for some reason that brings out a choreographic uh, inspiration in me. Um, And yeah, and I'd say even, you know, another piece, Brian Eno's Three Variations on Pachelbel's Canon, uh, Mm -hmm. that's a really beautiful piece. And um, I, that's, that's a special piece for me. And I love the kind of deconstructed feeling of it throughout. And I think it represents almost like brokenness really well and so I'm, I'm very fascinated in exposing like healing and brokenness in choreography and composition and how that can be expressed in sound and movement so mm-hmm. I've been kind of exploring those ideas too um but yeah even also like film music like Dario Marianelli is my favorite film score composer and yes. like, Pride and Prejudice one of my dream projects is like that that scene in Pride and Prejudice um I don't know if you've seen it but with, with uh Matthew McFadden and Keira Knightley when all the it's a brilliantly choreographed scene where the rest of the ballroom fades away as if they're the only two in the room and that mm-hmm. that piece in particular in the score I'm like oh I gotta create a partner piece <laughs> Every time i'm like oh this this is good one day (laughs) so yes that that's a few (laughs) i love it
0: (laughs) i like it just spans everything
1: you know
2: yeah like for some reason a lot of different sound worlds capture me choreographically
1: (laughs) yeah no i think that's amazing um so much to do with that too. I mean, there's just so many. The possibilities are endless with all of that, especially like Bach to Feldman. And
2: <laughs> I love the the different genres. Kind of surprisingly, can accommodate similar movements. I've found that's that's an interesting wow.
1: fascinating.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great.
2: Very cool.
0: Well. Annie, it's been great talking to you. Uh learning about your, your process and about life and and dance and music. And it's just um it's got my juices flowing and like just thinking of things. So it's it's amazing. Thank you so much for being here.
2: I'm so glad. Thank you, Bill and Hillary. This was so much fun. So glad we can chat. Yeah, thanks again. Um
1: man, you've got me inspired to go move around my house now. Maybe touch a wall. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Shut that up the cupboard.
1: <laughs> no, this is awesome. Thank you so much. What a what a beacon in the, the COVID world right now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sounds of the World podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. There are links to everything in the episode description and also on our website.
0: You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Sounds of the World. To show support for Sounds of the World podcast, please join our Patreon, where you can have access to our after-party discussions with guests, discounted merchandise, and even more.
1: If you have any questions, answers, or episode suggestions, please email us at sounds of the world podcast at gmail.com well bill i think i'm gonna go have a beer now hey there
0: you go